you the final play. Take me through it. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Master Plan. I'm your host, Michael Flavkowski, and today, the Roland Garros Review. I like I like the alliteration, Roland Garros. I mean, it's not total alliteration. It's close enough. Um, what a tournament it was. I mean, uh, Roland Garros, I think, is one of the more special majors, one of the more special tournaments in sports. Um, you know, listen... Not many sports are played on on a clay surface, uh, and, and and the fact that you know we had this type of tournament that was just it really was a spectacular tournament. I thought there were a lot of good matches on both sides of the draw, like both men's and women's draws. I thought there were a lot of of good matches. I think we had a great result, and let and let's start off by congratulating our major winners, Iga Schweitek. And for the 23rd time in his career, the most ever in the men's tennis game, Novak Djokovic with the major win at Roland Garros. His third major win at the French Open and his third major at the French, which completes... Makes him, sorry, it doesn't make him, it doesn't complete, it makes him the first player in tennis, I think I, don't, I think it's tennis history, it might just be men's, but I think it's in tennis history, to win every single major at least three times. So just in an, unprecedented, an unprecedented amount of dominance at each of the majors, uh, something that Roger Federer nor Rafael Nadal were able to achieve in their illustrious careers. Um... Let's talk about the tournament, though. Let's talk about the men's side with Djokovic just having a fantastic tournament. I mean, listen, I don't think that this was... I don't think anyone going into this tournament would have said Djokovic is having the best tournament. And I think in review, I don't think anyone is going to say this was his most dominant win ever because he was certainly not playing his best tennis you know, throughout each and every match, right? But even still, when it counted for... Djokovic, he was able to come through and, and achieve the the ultimate goal. And he did it arguably facing one of the tougher draws that he could have faced in, in this year's tournament. I mean, let's be honest here. Just to get to the final, he had to face the number one player in the world in Carlos Alcaraz. He had to beat Karen Hachnahov, who was the 11th seed at the tournament, who's no slouch himself, very good player. He then had to beat Davidovich Fokina, who's a clay court specialist, the 29th seed in the tournament, right? So 
you know, he had to play a lot of good players. So the first couple rounds, you know, maybe you could argue he didn't have to face as much competition. Um, you know, but he played Fuskovitz, who, who was a very talented player in his own right. So he did have to face quite a bit of competition. And then obviously in the finals, he plays a clay court specialist, right? Who's made, who made the last Roland Garros final last year, Casper Rude. And Djokovic throughout the entire tournament, I believe he dropped two sets, I think it was. Um, he dropped one to Hatchnahov and he dropped one to uh, Alcaraz. But it was a pretty dominant tournament from him. And we saw a lot of very, very good tennis. Especially, I think we saw the best tennis of the year in the first two sets of the Alcaraz-Djokovic match. Those first two sets, if you haven't seen them, you need to go watch them because they were absolutely spectacular. It was spectacular tennis. Um, Djokovic also did something that was you know, massively incredible throughout the tournament. I mean, he won every single tiebreaker he played. I think he won like, you know, he won 42 points to like 16. So he won 42 points. He lost 16 throughout all of his tiebreakers. He made zero unforced errors across every single point in all of those tiebreakers. And zero unforced It's insane. To, to, to do that in tennis is, is remarkable. Um, I think that we have to talk about the men's side and, and, and we, we have to talk about the men's side and we have to talk about Holgerun and Alcaraz because those are two of the next, I would say, characterize them as the next great players in the men's tennis game. I, I, I personally think that Alcaraz, Rune, and Sinner are going to be the three guys in this next generation who are really going to be battling it out for the majority of the majors. I'm not saying that they're going to win you know, every single one. And I don't think there's a chance that the three of them are anything close to the dominance that Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic have exemplified over their careers. I don't think we're going to get anything like that ever again. But I do think they're going to be great. But what they showed in this tournament, um, and it's not just them, it's them as well as their trainers and their and their coaching staff is is a lack of experience of how to play in the major, because we saw you know again two top five players in the world essentially cramp up during their matches late in the tournament and that's just inexcusable at a major, right? The difference between you know Roland Garros and Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and um, the Australian Open in men's tennis is that it's best out of five sets. It's not three sets, it's best out of five sets. That's why, you know, a lot, you know, especially in the men's game, a lot of weight is held upon how well you do in majors because it's just a much more difficult way to play the game. And that's, that's the honest truth, right? You're playing two more sets. You have two more sets to work with. Um, and the fact that you have two very young guys, Alcaraz and Rune, who really struggled, like mightily struggled, with the fitness during the tournament, it needs to be sorted out because we can't go into Wimbledon. We can't go into um, the U.S. Open with guys like this, you know, ha having these sort of issues. Um, I know clay is longer matches and it's tough. You know, it's it's not easy because um, you're moving around a lot. It's a lot more physical. But you know, you you know, Alcaraz is cramping. You know, not even. I mean, it, he cramped at the end of the, the beginning of the third set. It wasn't like it was in the fifth set. Um. That you know that essentially made that Djokovic Alcaraz match. It was spectacular in the first two sets. 
made the final two sets essentially not even worth watching. Um, let's congratulate the finalist in the men's final, Casper Ruud. Um, again, I already mentioned this is his second consecutive French Open final. He also made the U.S. Open final last year. Uh, but he's 0 for 3 in his major finals so far in his career, right, to start out. And um, it's very impressive that he's gotten this far. Although, you know, you look at his draw, you know, who he's had to play, it's it's much easier than the draw, draw that Djokovic had to play. Um you know, again, if Rune may be, if Rune is healthy, then maybe it's a different story. Um, but Rude is a very talented player. He's one of the nicest guys on tour. He's a great guy. The issue is with his game is he's just way too, he's way too much of a watcher. He's way too much of a watcher in, in, in these finals. He's never going to be a competitive player in these finals if he continues to just kind of play second-tier tennis, uh, and that's where I feel like he's at. He's not playing first-tier tennis right now. He's playing very high second-tier, which is why he's making finals. He's got some. He got an easy draw this year, and he was able to make it. He hasn't actually won any big matches. Like he, I mean, he really hasn't won any big matches that you look at and you say, wow, this is a big match, big match win for him. I mean, I guess you consider that whole Garoon match the biggest match win for him, but I view it as, okay, but like, Rune was essentially, you know, a non-factor for the first two. I mean, he was literally gas, and that's his own problem. I'm not saying that Rude doesn't do great training and stuff like that for that, but I mean, he played Jari, he played Zhang. I mean, these aren't top-tier players. I mean, these aren't true competitors. Um, you know, and again, it's not his fault that maybe some other guys didn't win, but at the same time, I mean, it's like Rude really. I mean, essentially, I mean, Zverev was his biggest match, but he, I mean, that's what, he's 20-something, and, and now it's in the semifinals. Um, Rude's a really good player, but, you know, the way he played in the final is he's just, it's not good enough tennis to beat the top-tier guys in the world. It's just not. On any surface, especially, you know, one that requires you to be better. You have to play, you have to be physical, you have to go for it sometimes. And I think that Rude is just a little bit too much of a passenger. I love him, but he's got to change the way he plays in finals. You're never going to beat Djokovic if you're standing there and you're just letting Djokovic do what he does. He's, I think Rude makes everyone play. He makes everyone feel very comfortable against him. I almost feel like that's the way he plays, and I don't I don't think that's the way to win. Um, Alcaraz had a good tournament up until that that Djokovic match. I mean, the Sissipas match wasn't even a match. Um, of course, Tsitsipas is, you know, after the match. Oh, I took uh, melatonin. I couldn't fall asleep, so then I took melatonin, and I was like half. I'm like, the dude is the biggest complainer on tour. Um, makes more excuses than I've ever seen in my life. Um, he's a talented player, of course, but he's he's not. I don't think going to be a. He might be a one or two time major winner, maybe. Um, he's just he's not. He doesn't have the game. I think he's way too one dimensional with his game. It's. Plays a big serve, big forehand, one-handed back, and I just don't think it suits him, uh, or suits you know the game of tennis that we play now. He's not, you know, clutch enough in majors. He doesn't play really, you know, long points. Um, and he's a, an average mover. I mean, he's not really above average at anything, which I think is going to cause him problems. Um, the Italians had a great tournament outside of Sinner, who lost early. Um. You know, Sanego and Musetti both made it to the fourth round. 
Um, they both lost in that round, but they both played very good tournaments. Musetti, especially in his third round match versus uh, Cam Nori, who uh, he absolutely dispatched Cam Nori. I mean, I, I've I've gone on record many times with my criticisms of Cam Nori's game because he's I just I think he's massively overrated. He's 14th seed in this tournament. I think he's probably between 15 and 20 if best in the world. Uh, I don't think he's a very talented player. I think he's you know, just he had a, he had a couple good seasons or above average seasons, um, and he's gonna sit in his ranking for a while, and as he should. Um, it was a good tournament though overall. We had a lot of good matches. Uh, Herkaz had a great match for with Farias. Uh, Kokonakis had a couple good matches, especially that that Hatchmahov match. Um, yeah, Cherundulo and uh, Taylor Fritz had an interesting match. Uh, the third round was really, really good tennis. I think that may have been the best overall round of tennis during the tournament. Um, Echeverry beat Nishioki in the fourth round. That's, that was definitely a surprise. Echeverry was the surprise uh, in that quarterfinals, the only unseeded player in the quarterfinals. Um, it was a good tournament. I think you know, there were a couple guys who went out very early. I believe, where did Sinner go out? Yeah, Sinner went out against Altmaier in the second round, um, which let Dimitrov make it all the way to the third round after beating uh, Altmaier and Rusevori. Um, Sinner, you know, he's a very talented player. I mean, he's he's obviously uh, he's obviously a good player. I don't think anyone, um, I don't think anyone really disagrees with that. I think he's really got a a, a great career ahead of him. Um, but he's got a long way to grow and. You know, hopefully we see better from Sinner on grass because he's a really talented player. And, and you know, again, he beat uh, Alcaraz earlier this year, I believe, at the Miami Open. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of hope for Sinner to be, you know, one of those next great players. Um, and, you know, I hope he is. Um, you know, we've seen a lot, you know, a lot of these guys who are in the 20th or 30th region, you know, oftentimes they don't. They're not able to string wins together. Um, I mean, sometimes they do, obviously, but you know, it it, it definitely is um, a cycle. Finally, let's talk about um, well, not finally, but let's talk about uh, the Medvedev loss in the first round versus Sabath Wild. Listen, Medvedev is not a clay court player. I think we all know this, but I think that Medvedev's a solid player. I just don't think he's like. Unreal. You know, you compare. I, I don't think you can compare him. I don't think he wants to be compared to the, you know, the numbers number twos that we've had in this world, um, over the past you know however many years. I mean, you know, he's he's certainly no Djokovic, Nadal, or Fed. Like it's just not not a fair comparison, whatsoever. Like Medvedev is a solid player. He plays a very odd style. Um, his form is. You know, if I were coaching him and he was like 15, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? But it works for him. He makes it work. Um, but I think what we saw versus Sabath Wild is is why Medvedev, you know, he's really has not found his game on clay ever. Um, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't remind me a little bit of Federer, but Federer was always able to win on clay. Um, and there was a, a quite a bit of a misconception about Federer on clay as well. I mean, he grew up playing on clay he just wasn't as good as Nadal or Djokovic on clay. Um, but yeah, Medvedev's loss was a surprise. I think, you know, to some people, a lot of people, yeah, I know, I know people who called it as an upset, but even still, I mean, the fact that 
Medvedev still comes out and wins that, I think is a, I think is a big surprise. Uh, let's talk about Djokovic, though. You know, what a, what a tournament. I mean, he just, he played so well. The final match was essentially, I mean, it, the you know, commentators, obviously the first set was good, but, you know, Casper definitely, you know, choked a little bit. And again, you know, when you're playing against Djokovic, he's, he was serving well. His returns were immaculate. His forehand looked great. His backhand was on complete lockdown. Um, the second set was an absolute demolishing of, of Rude. I mean, Djokovic goes out there, wins the first three games, and cruises to the set win. Um, and then the third set, you know, listen, it's tight. They both hold all the way through until 5-5. Djokovic breaks Rude and then holds serve to win the match um, in the championship. And, and I think, you know, when we look at, you know, what this win means for Djokovic in his career, you know, Nadal maybe has another year left in them, maybe, maybe one, maybe two. Um, but the fact that at this point, you know, Nadal is not coming back for this year. Djokovic is definitely going to be the final at Wimbledon. Um, and he's definitely going to be one of the favorites, if not the favorite, come the U.S. Open. Um, and if Djokovic is able to win, you know, one, if not two more majors this year, uh, it will put him at least – he's at least one ahead of Nadal going into the Australian Open of 2024 – if not more than that. And I think that that's, you know, given Djokovic's fitness, he's 36, he looks great. He is, I think he has at least four more, three or four more really good seasons in him of top tier tennis where I believe he can win more majors. Um, and he's got more experience than anyone on tour combined right now. I mean, outside of Nadal, you know, you look at every other player, he's got more experience in majors than every single one of them. Uh, Djokovic has now won the past three majors he's played in, um, including Wimbledon last year. So I think when we look at this whole, you know, as, as a whole, I, I think that, you know, is the calendar Grand Slam in a, a, a realistic possibility? I, I absolutely think it is. I just, when you look at it this way, I think that Djokovic is the best grass court player on tour right now. He's the easy favorite for the, for the Wimbledon title. I'm not saying he's going to win, but... I do believe he will go out there, and I do believe he will win uh, that tournament. I think the U.S. Open is the hardest tournament to win consistently, um, just based off of you know years past. I think that you know Djokovic obviously has won it three times. However, I think that we've seen you know a lot of interesting performances. You have to remember Djokovic has also you know lost an Adal countless times in the French Open final, right? But um, the U.S. Open, anything can happen. Um, and that, you know, definitely can cause trouble for Djokovic. But I think that, you know, at least looking ahead, you know, right ahead to Wimbledon, I think that he's the favorite. Um, and if he were to hold four major titles at one time, where I guess, oh, I guess it would be three. But if you were able to get Wimbledon and somehow get the U.S. Open, I mean, I think at the moment he's the best player ever to play the game. But I think that if he were to, you know, complete the calendar Grand Slam, which he missed out on once before, um, you know, losing the U.S. Open, I think it would be cementing him as the greatest player to ever play the game. And I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, let's look at the women's draw. Uh, it was an interesting tournament on the women's. It always kind of is. I mean, you know, historically, at least, at least, you know, kind of the way I feel about it, um, oftentimes you know, in the women's, you know, tournament, you get a lot of unranked players who kind of make their way deep into the tournament. It's not a criticism necessarily. It's just kind of more of a reality, I think, uh, as a result of the tournament. 
Um, Igor Swiatek obviously won it. I mean, there was really no question coming in whether she would or wouldn't. Um, I mean, listen, she's the best player in the women's game right now, and there's no question. She's a great clay court player too, which obviously is going to positively impact her her results at the clay court tournament of the year. There's just no two ways about that statement. Um, but she's the best player on tour because you look at what she did to Coco Goff, Haddad Maya. I mean, these are two set matches that, you know, again, the Maya match was one close set, Goff set and Goff match was one close set. But I mean, you know, it's just, it's just kind of, I think more of a result of the women's game where, you know, every single time we have a tournament, it really seems like, you know, some, a couple, if not more than one, I mean, listen, in the quarterfinals, the women had... Three unseeded players, which is actually, I think, less than normal for them. Um, they had, you know, uh, five seeds for them. But, you know, we knew Schweitek was going to win as soon as she beat Goff, I think. Uh, that was the match I'm looking forward to. I love Coco Goff. I think she's a great player. She's a great young American player, which is obviously something that I love to see. I, I love seeing, you know, Americans, whether they're men or women, go out there and win. Obviously, Serena Williams uh, the greatest female tennis player of all time, in my opinion, um, you know, just dominated the game for however many years. And I think that, you know, to have someone who who can champion the women's tennis, you know, not Sloane Stevens, of course, because that that was a that was a little bit of a failed experiment right there. But to have someone who can champion women's tennis in America, and for that to be Coco Gauff, I think is. Um, Beautiful for the sport of golf. Oh, excuse me. Beautiful for the sport of tennis, and, and really good for for the American tennis game. And I, and I hope that Coco Goff, you know, learns from this experience, learns from this loss, and can can really do something special at Wimbledon, which I think suits Swiatek less than it does Goff. I mean, Swiatek is incredible. I mean, she, you know, she's. I believe she's won what. I think she's won what. She's won four majors. So she's won the French Open three times and the U.S. Open. Um, yet to win on the Australian surface and yet to win Wimbledon, which, again, I think that Wimbledon just not so much her game. I mean, she's a clay court specialist. She's won, again, three of the past four French Opens, which is, like, ridiculous when you think about it that way. Um, but, yeah, um, she defeated Muchova in the finals, the unseeded Czech. Um, who took down Sabalenka, the second seed in the tournament. I did think Sabalenka was going to make it that far. Um, I, I really was hoping for a Swiatek-Sabalenka final. It ended up not happening. Um, you know, I mean, it's just... It, I, I, it's hard to characterize this women's tournament. I mean, I was really rooting for Owens Jabor to at least play Swiatek. Uh, Haddad Maya, you know, shout out to her. I believe she was what the first Brazilian to make it to the French, I think quarterfinals and maybe semifinals, maybe ever, but maybe in a long time. I can't, I don't remember the exact statistic. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were, it was a good tournament, but you know, as typical with the women's game, you're going to have those, those big seeds drop out early. I mean, that's just what happened. Azarenka, who's the 18th seed lost to Bianca, uh, Andreescu, uh, Buskova, the 32nd, 31st seed lost to Wang in the first round. 
Tresenko beat Krejcikova, the 13th seed. Shmedilova beat Kudermetova, the 11th seed. I mean, these are all first round, by the way, too. Madison Keys also in the second round. Um, yeah, Ryby Kina withdrew before her third round match. Um, let's see. Uh, Kvitova, who's a multiple-time major winner, I think, lost in the first round. Um, the 22nd seed, Vekic, lost in the second round to Para. Uh, the 30th seed lost in the first round. Sakari, who's the 8th seed, lost in straight sets to Mitrova in the first round. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, I think it's, I think it's characteristic. I mean, you Bianca Benchich lost in the first round. It's it's characteristic of the women's game. I think it's just the way it's been for a little bit of time right now where you just have, um, you know, kind of unseeded players playing very well in tournaments like these. And I think that, you know, when the third and fifth seed also go out in the second and, or a third and second rounds respectively, I mean, you know, it's tough. And I don't think it's as much to do with like, you know, players going up and down. I just think it's, it's kind of a, a, a result of uh, the way that um, these tournaments turn out. I mean, you have to remember, in the women's game, it's three sets. So I think a lot more tends to happen, right? You don't really have these long matches where, you know, the more experienced, better player can usually come out on top in the fourth and fifth set. I mean, that just does not exist in the women's game. But... You know, Schweitek was just dominant. I mean, she really has been on the French surface for, you know, essentially the past four years. Um, and I expect her to be dominant going forward. And the real question is, is whether Schweitek can start winning on other surfaces. Because, I mean, listen, to be considered... To be considered... To be considered, you know, one of the great women's tennis players... Not just of your era, but of all time. You know, you cannot just win on one surface, right? And if you do, you have to win a hell of a lot. Like, Nadal is considered one of the greatest of all time. And listen, he's won every tournament. Now, he hasn't won, you know, Wimbledon as much. He's only won once. Maybe he's won one or two Aussie Opens. I think two or three... U.S. Opens, but he's won, you know, 14 French Opens or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, you look at, because he was able to do it. I mean, he was able to cre complete the career Grand Slam. He was able to win all four majors in his career. Um, and, you know, again, when you win the French Open, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14 times. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, and especially when you're able to do it, winning, you know, five consecutive French Open titles from 2010 to 2014, which is unreal. On By the way, on the back of winning four straight French Open titles and ahead of winning four straight French Open titles, 2017, 18, 19, 20. So, I mean, he's unbelievable. And I think that Schweitek... You know, listen, again, if if she is to be considered, um, if she is to be considered the number one women's tennis player and, I, you know, the, the, the best tennis player of the current era, 
She needs to be able to do it on all surfaces, not just on clay, because it's really the majority of the success she's had. So that's all I've got for today's episode. Thank you all for listening to the French Open Review. Have a great day. The game on the line, one shot. Who would you rather have taking it, Iggy or Curry? Of everyone on Golden State, open shot. Fate of the universe on the line, or the Martians have the death beam pointed at Earth. You better hit it. I want Iguadala.